Many of you probably heard the great news this week that Mother Teresa is to be canonized after a second miracle attributed to her was verified by the church. To me, one of the remarkable things about Mother Teresa is just how close she is to us in time. She's not some distant figure in history. She truly is a sign to the modern world that Christ is still among us. I can't count the number of people who I have met who has spent time with her, who witnessed her work, even the number of priests I've met that have had the privilege of being their, her confessor. Although I never met Mother Teresa myself, in my second year of seminary, I was assigned to work with the order that she founded, the Missionaries of Charity. On Saturdays, myself and a few classmates would travel from the seminary to the Gift of Peace House in Northeast D.C. The Gift of Peace House was established in the 1980s to care for elderly and homeless men suffering with AIDS. Truth be told, besides a few precautions that we had to take to guard against the possibility of HIV transmission, it probably wasn't diff that much different from many nursing homes. The sisters, as well as the seminarians and the other volunteers, did the normal, everyday tasks of caring for the elderly and the infirm, preparing their food, helping them dress, changing the bedpans, giving them shaves and haircuts. Which is to say it was not the most pleasant work on a sensory level. Caring for people whose bodies are breaking down and who can't control their own functions is not for the faint of heart. But my fellow seminarians and I were able to accomplish the tasks that we were given with grim determination and by figuratively, if not sometimes literally, holding our noses. We got through it, and afterwards I probably self-satisfiedly commended myself for doing the Lord's work for a few hours at a time every other Saturday. And that was the difference between us and Mother Teresa's sisters. This was their vocation. They did this work round the clock, day in and day out, year after year. No days off, no vacations, just continually serving Christ in the poorest of the poor. But even more profound than that was the and what was so amazing about the missionaries of charity was the joy that they radiated in doing these seemingly menial tasks. Every sister smiled, joked, and laughed throughout the day, interrupted by only the more solemn joy of turning to Mass and prayer. A cynical observer would think that someone was slipping them happy pills. I remember thinking that myself from time to time. But ultimately, my classmates and I knew that this was the Holy Spirit at work within them. In the infancy narratives of Christ, we could say that there are four main adult characters— Zachariah, Elizabeth, Joseph, and Mary. Two couples either married or about to be married. Both couples are presented with an unexpected pregnancy that tests their faith in the Lord. We see first in the response of Zechariah, to whom it was told that his wife would bear a child, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Yes, Zechariah was a holy man. He was one of the priests. Indeed, the angel Gabriel said to him, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. But the response of Zechariah was still to quibble with the Lord, to doubt the power of his providence, to try to test everything by his own human understanding. Contrast this, of course, with the response of Elizabeth when she actually became pregnant. So has the Lord done for me at a time when he has seen fit 
to take away my disgrace before others. In other words, joy that the Lord has given her a child, even in her old age, not questions and challenges. And similarly, we can contrast the responses of Joseph and Mary. In Matthew's Gospel, Joseph is informed that Mary is pregnant before they live together. And it says, Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. His response to the pregnancy was to see the legal and moral difficulties that it imposed and to try to solve it within the context of the Jewish law. Mary, on the other hand, when told that she would become pregnant with the Christ child, responded in love and obedience. Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Yes, she does ask the angel Gabriel a question as to how this pregnancy will occur given her virginity. But that's not the kind of challenging question that Zechariah asks. She's simply asking to understand the mechanism at work given her pledge of virginity, not questioning God's power to make it happen. So we see that both Mary and Elizabeth respond with joy and reverence at God in becoming pregnant. They accept the Lord's will for their lives, despite the difficulties that a virgin pregnancy or a pregnancy in old age will impose upon them. Joseph and Zechariah, by contrast, while they are both good men, accept only after some difficulty, only after challenging or seeking to manage the problem on their own terms. St. John Paul II, who was a close confidant of Mother Teresa, saw in Mary and Elizabeth's receptivity to the Lord the archetypes of feminine spirituality. Unfortunately, some would stereotype this as if it were mere passivity and repose in the face of a higher power, but that's not it at all. Rather, as John Paul pointed out in his encyclical, Mulieris Dignitatum, which means on the dignity of women, this receptivity and trust in the Lord's invitation is precisely what allows women to play an active and meaningful role in the world in families, in the church, and in the larger society. Women, as John Paul pointed out, have that special gift of seeing persons in their true reality, stemming from their God-given maternal instincts. Their ability to give and nurture life, whether expressed by pregnancy or not, allows them to break down the barriers and hypocrisies that divide persons. Barriers and hypocrisies that often originate in the typically masculine but wayward tendency to divide things according to external and irrelevant qualities. Thus we see that when Mary visits Elizabeth, which we should remember was a dangerous and difficult journey for a young, pregnant, unmarried woman, Elizabeth greets Mary by recognizing her true reality, not as her cousin or as her friend or even as a fellow expectant mother, but by exclaiming, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And of course, Mary responds with her famous Magnificat, my soul magnifies the Lord. Fundamentally, the missionaries of charity carry on the charism of Mary and Elizabeth, that of seeing all persons, including themselves, in the light of their divine reality. That's why they can have joy in serving Christ in what Mother Teresa herself said, was the distressing guise of the poor and the outcast. They weren't distracted by foul smells and decaying bodies because as women they recognized the true person 
the immortal soul crafted by God in each and every person they encountered. There is, of course, a masculine genius, and that is an important topic for another day. But in a significant way, the Nativity calls upon Christians to draw upon the feminine example of Mary and Elizabeth, to see the divine power reflected in the Christ child in the manger, poor and lowly, powerless in the eyes of the world, to see our salvation in the weak things of this world, and because of that, to have trust in God, not in ourselves and our own judgments, all the more fully. So we should remember that ultimately this nativity is about receiving the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.